I think I'm definitely on, I'm on team melt, but <laughs> Amy and I have another way that we live this out. Maybe you guys too, too. It's team air conditioning or team not air conditioning. <laughs> My wife is happy being comfortable with the air conditioning on. I don't know if it's growing up Dutch or Calvinist or something where we just, we don't permit ourselves to be comfortable. And if, <laughs> if you have to use energy, to, it's like, we'll melt. <laughs> we will melt sooner than turn the temperature like lower than 78 degrees or something in the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, pray with me and for me as we start the message. Um, Jesus, we welcome you here today. Pray that we would know you better, understand how you speak to us, just how you respond to our anxiousness, to our anxious systems, to the systems we construct that we ask you to inhabit, Jesus. Help us hear you this morning. Amen. So the title of the teaching, the message this morning, is Making Room in Our Lives for Scary Jesus. Okay, a little bit ominous. We're going to encounter two Jesuses, Mother Hen Jesus and Scary Jesus. Most of us want to interact with Mother Hen Jesus, the Jesus who's kind, calm, caring, detects your worries and your anxieties, provides you shelter and comfort. <laughs> but the trouble is there's also scary Jesus who doesn't like inhabiting our anxious systems and instead of providing comfort, just reveals them for what they are and tries to help us through. I spoke a few weeks ago in the message, uh, we followed Jesus as he was, he was in a church service, essentially. There was a woman there who was bent over. He helped her stand up straight. She got in trouble from religion because of that, so he defended her. And then he offered these images, these metaphors for what the kingdom of God is like. The people in the room thought that the kingdom of God is like a hero who does powerful things galvanizes us as a mob, and we go forward from there and take over the world, right? That's how the kingdom of God, that's how winning works. That's what it looks like. And so Jesus then offered these lovely alternatives, <laughs> uh, a little seed of mustard that you plant in the garden, and it grows up into a big tree, some yeast that you work into the flower. So these lovely, kind, soft images, but profoundly subversive, right? because you're challenging the mob. You're saying to the mob, no, that's not how it works. And the mob says, well, that's how we want it to work. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not me being a hero, galvanizing you behind me. It's you doing little things all around you that produce outsized effects, okay? So loveliness that's subversive. So today we're gonna to encounter a story that works in much the same way, this construct that religion puts forward about how things work, trying to set Jesus at the center of it all, and how does Jesus respond? So it's the very next story after that one, told by Luke. It begins this way. And Jesus traveled on throughout cities and villages, teaching and making his journey to Jerusalem. 
And someone said to him, Lord, is it the case that those being saved are few? So the setting has some tension to it. Jesus isn't just making his annual tour of some cities and villages. He's going somewhere. And everybody knows that when he arrives at the destination on this journey, there's going to be a conflict, a confrontation. Something's going to happen. Some people hope or anticipate that Jesus is going to take over. He's going to win. He's going to dominate. And other people anticipate that, but not so happily. Right? So people are cheering Jesus on, at least some, and others are opposing him, resisting him, wanting to suppress him. And so this tension is in the journey. And as Jesus goes from town to town, village to village, people ask him questions. Right? They see him as somebody with the inside scoop, connected to God, doing pretty amazing things. So what is Jesus going to do? How is he going to do it? And what does he think about these things that matter to us? So here's a question that comes to him. Is it the case that those being saved are few? Now, it's not a simple question, right? It reflects a complicated set of beliefs, assumptions, presuppositions about God, humankind, how we all work. It has in it the concept of scarcity, Right? There's a good that might be available to some, but probably not to very many, and that right away makes us anxious. There's the concept of selectivity. Right? There's the good is a good outcome with God, something favorable, a destination, an end point, something that comes after this, where you might or might not be with God. You might or might not get the good outcome. So there's selectivity, there's a dichotomy, there's scarcity, and a whole set of beliefs built up around this, right? This is part of the fabric of almost all religions, is the outcome, the possibility of a differential outcome, and that it might be restricted, that God might have something to say, that there might be something about you, who you are, what you do, how you behave, what you think, how you feel, how you have acted, that will determine the choice that God makes about you. And so this is what's being brought to Jesus, this whole construct of beliefs, ideas. And I think Jesus can feel the anxiousness, the structure for this question, the structure for the beliefs, right? Whatever is the specific content around this question is anxiety. <laughs> this whole idea, this whole possibility and all the things that swirl around it make me anxious. The questioner is anxious. What's going to happen to me? And I'm asking you, Jesus, because you might have a better answer than I've gotten before. You seem pretty nice. You seem pretty kind. You seem sort of powerful. You seem connected to God. And so maybe there is the possibility that you can influence things in my benefit, right? That you can help me out on this. If you know me, if you recognize me, if we're a little bit friendly, maybe when that day shows up, you'll say, oh, I remember you. Oh, you, are, you don't have to worry. Right? That's the hope of the questioner. That the questioner is going to find nice Jesus, kind Jesus, tranquil Jesus, calming Jesus. A Jesus who will give a good answer that will allay your anxieties and fears, put your mind at rest. 
So let's see what we got. <clears throat> I'm going to read this as if this is calm Jesus, nice Jesus, tranquil Jesus, zen Jesus. We'll see how far I get. And Jesus said to them, so Jesus understands that this question reflects more than just this one person. It's in the air. Strive to enter through the narrow door, <laughs> because many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not have the strength. From the time the master of the house rises and shuts the door, you then begin to stand outside and to knock upon the door, saying, Lord, open it for us. And in reply, he will say to you, I do not know you where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank before you, and you taught in our streets. And speaking to you, he will proclaim, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all workers of injustice. I don't know about you, but I'm not feeling very reassured at this moment, right? So let me read it in a way that I think is more true to the words. And I'm going to carry it all the way through. Jesus is going to respond to the question, and then there are going to be some interactions. We're going to go all the way through and see where it leaves us. And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not have the strength. From the time the master of the house rises and shuts the door, you then begin to stand outside and knock upon the door, saying, Lord, open it for us. And in reply, he will say to you, I do not know you where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank before you, and you taught in our streets. And speaking to you, he will proclaim, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all workers of injustice. There will be weeping and the grinding of teeth when you see Abraham and Israel and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but yourselves driven outside. And they will come from east and west and from north and south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. And look, there are those who are last who will be first. And there are those who are first who will be last. <laughs> in that same hour, some Pharisees approached, saying to him, Leave and journey away from here, for Herod wishes to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, see, I exercise demons and accomplish healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I reach my destination. Moreover, it is necessary for me to journey on today and tomorrow and the day following, because it is not allowed that a prophet should perish outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one killing the prophets and stoning those sent to her. How often I have wished to gather your children as would a bird her nestlings beneath her wings. But look, your house is abandoned. I tell you, you most surely will not see me until the time when you will say, blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord. So I read it all the way through just to show that Jesus continues kind of in this jazzed, provocative, complicated, confusing way. But at the very end, there is in him the mother hen. Right? Whatever it is that came before, there is in Jesus this response to the anxiety of those he sees that desires to care, to comfort, to provide shelter, 
to provide protection. It's just we have to go through scary Jesus to get there, right? So Jesus receives this question that's a question of anxiety, of anxiousness, and it's a whole system. And the questioner and all those the questioner represents are wanting to put Jesus in the middle of it, right? They're like, it's like this dome of, I don't know what, this dome of anxiety, of this anxious system that they're lowering onto Jesus and asking him to inhabit and to respond from within. And Jesus, rather than being kind, calming, to me, instead, exposes the whole thing for what it is, right? (laughs) You follow Jesus through, and it is amazing. To me, what he is doing is exposing all the possible ways that this system and structure of believing can produce anxiety, right? We first encounter a narrow door. Well, we start out, that's a little bit anxious. Ooh, I have to squeeze through. But you should use that one because whatever this other portal for entry is that's not described, we don't know where it is, nobody has the strength to open. He then shifts from there to a setting, and there's no connectors, no logic to it, no rationality. He is not explaining things in some understandable way. He then shifts from there to a setting where you and I are just kind of hanging about. We hear a door slam behind us, and that triggers our exclusion anxiety. Wait, what? The door's closed? We go bang on the door, and we encounter like a deranged master. Now, what's remarkable about us as human beings and us across the course of time in Christendom is we will relentlessly turn this into something that makes sense. And we will explain it in a way that, that, that conforms to expectations. So any male of power in a story has to be God. right? And so this master is God. But this master is just like wild and crazy and unsettling and disturbing. And what's most troubling to you, Jesus says, is that you will think you're on good terms with this person, that this person knows you, but then the master will say, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from, as if that's important. It's important where I come from. I didn't know that. And then you'll say to the master, yeah, but we hung out together and and I came to your block party and and, and I brought a mini keg and you taught and like like we were friends. And and he'll say, I don't know you, where you come from. Away from me, all you workers of injustice. Right? Jesus, I think, again, just getting at the fears that this system preserves. And this is a happy thing for religion, right? A part of what Jesus is doing is exposing the structures that religion itself maintains so that those in power can continue to be in power. Our anxiety is really beneficial to people who inhabit a religious system. If those in power want to maintain the structure, Right? Our anxiety is useful. It keeps things as they are. <laughs> and so Jesus then, he goes on from there to the nightmare of all nightmares regarding our fears about inclusion and exclusion and scarcity and non-scarcity. <laughs> he describes the banquet where 
every single other person on the planet is in, except for you, right? First, there's the setting where you actually somehow did get in, and then you're driven out. And then once you're on the outside, Jesus says, everybody, Abraham, Israel, uh, Isaac, all the prophets, and then just everybody, they, this unselected they from north and south and east and west. So every other living being on the planet is reclining at table inside while you alone are on the outside looking in. And so Jesus revealing the anxiety of the system, the way the system works, all the things it contains. You know, and I think, well, Jesus, why couldn't you have done that nicely? Like, (laughs) why did you have to expose, to lean into, to provoke, to stir up all the anxieties of the system? I think back um, to our own story, our turn towards inclusion. You know, we inhabited a a heteronormative religious structure that was largely based on anxiety, just a ton of anxiety giving structure to the thing. And what Jesus had to do, first of all, I think Jesus is saying, like in this story, and he was saying to us, I just don't inhabit that. I will not inhabit that structure. It is antithetical to me. It is antithetical to who I am. I feel your desire to situate me at the center of that and to sort of speak amicably from within it. But I can't. I cannot be in that. I won't be in that. And I don't think that structure could come down with kind, calm, equanimous communications. It had to be revealed for what it was. Now, we had to have capacity to hear Jesus say these things to us. You know, he does this in 30 seconds here. It took us six years to be able to hear what he was saying to us, to let him reveal to us all the ways in which that edifice, in which that structure was corrupt, was broken, was empty, was dysfunctional, was harmful. You know, in the midst of it, I had my own. It it wasn't just this simple needing information or needing a little correction or modification. It reflected a way of doing religion, a way of doing faith, this complicated, multi-level, long-standing edifice that had to come down. And so for me personally, It wasn't just coming into contact with my resistance to queerness or to freedom. My whole belief structure within myself, within the religion I inhabited, supported that, and it had to come down, and that made me anxious. It was deeply troubling. It was deeply disturbing. I had to come to a place where I had strength to be willing to let Jesus communicate to me in the way that Jesus wanted to communicate to me, right? I think our church oftentimes is is empty or is diminished because we suppress scary Jesus. We will not allow him to communicate to us in this way. We will not allow him to speak to us in the way that he wants to speak. 
with provocation, with energy, with passion, with illumination, with I will not inhabit that. (laughs) Don't try to put that on me because I cannot live there. And you need to hear me speak to you in the way that I want to speak to you. You know, one of the images or metaphors that Jesus used for what he was doing was, I am going to tear down the temple and build it up again in three days. And there was, you know, in his day in Jerusalem, a real temple. And so people were kind of freaked out because it was a beautiful place and it was sturdily constructed and, you know, and it represented everything that the religion was. But metaphorically, it was exactly what Jesus was doing. It's like, I saw this image, it's like he's playing Jenga with a chainsaw. <laughs> you know, like, like he's not doing the little nudging the blocks and being really careful. It's like, this has to come down. And then I'll build up something better in its place. You know, but I think that's the, I think the mother hen I think that's what that's about. Like Jesus has this caring compassionateness to him. But it's when we say yes to him revealing us to ourselves, to him being able to speak to you and I freely about our own structures, our own edifices. You know, I am very aware that there are belief structures in me that I am not really letting Jesus get at. I could tell you what they are, right? I could tell you the specific things where I'm willing to let Jesus come and reveal myself to me, but there are others where I say, no, stay away. And it's not easy. It's not easy to do. If you were to do a word uh, study of this passage, (laughs) you would find words like kill and perish and stoning and like the resistance that rises up in us, and especially in our systems, to Jesus showing us who we are, what we have built, what he would want to tear down. The resistance is pretty strong. And I feel that in me. It's like, no, Jesus, don't go there. Not yet. <laughs> Maybe not ever. Maybe one day. You know, It's like <clears throat> the work that I do within myself, so much of my work, within my own self, whether it's prayer or counseling, is to try to get to a place where I'm willing to have the experience that Jesus is producing for this questioner, where I'm willing to let him say fully, oh my goodness, this structure has so much anxiety. It's just built on that again and again and again and again in so many ways that produce harm. You know, let me help you get to a place where you can hear me. So my invitation to us this morning, it's, it's both with this specific construct, right? This construct of belonging and exclusivity and scarcity. We have so many false beliefs. Jesus just challenging those again and again and again. Right, even the anxiety itself, the anxiety of scarcity, scarcity makes us anxious and we have to run and grab and we do all sorts of things to respond to that, which we have to do with real scarcity. But the real question here that our anxiety hides is, are our differences meaningful to God? 
Is there anything about your identity and mine, where you come from, what you do? Is there anything meaningful to that, to God? Religion would say yes, because religion is built on those differences. Religion makes itself matter by making much of the differences and saying that those differences matter to God. Jesus, I think, is saying no. All of this, no. The differences, the possibility that God would select some and not others off the table. Right? So that's one of the invitations to us, to inhabit that reality. But the other is, can we come to a place where we as individuals, where we as a community, where we as a society, oh my goodness, if we as a society could let Jesus, scary Jesus talk and actually hear him, holy cow, we would have a different world. So I'm going to invite us into a moment of reflection. I'll frame it this way. You can take anything you want from the message but if you were with that crowd, following Jesus from one town, village, to the next, to the next, towards whatever it is that's coming, what's the question you would ask? And can you imagine the possibility of Jesus, of giving Jesus room to answer? What would that look like? So Jesus, here we are. <laughs> we just bring to you so many structures built on our own anxiousness, ours, anxiousness we've been given by the systems we inhabit. And so, Jesus, may it be the case that each of us brings to you now a question. What's the question? Jesus, is it the case? We give you this moment, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your perceptiveness. We thank you that you know us. May this be a community where we have capacity to let you fully express yourself. We need your full self here, speaking, free, free to move and act and reveal. Let that be the case here, Jesus. Amen.